The first reading this morning is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From John chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Good morning, guys. It's great to be back with us all again this morning. And uh, thank you for, for setting aside these times reliably and regularly and not allowing uh, lethargy or um, <clears throat> distractions to stop you from your normal worship time on Sundays. And that's a blessing because we can lose spiritual momentum through what's happening with COVID. And it's the wise man and wise woman who wants to gain spiritual momentum and not lose it. So as we open God's word, let's first uh, pray. Uh, we thank you, Lord, as always, that you have not left us unattended. You have not left us alone. You have not left us unguided, Lord. You have put us on a path to righteousness for your name's sake, Lord and for our well-being, not only now but forever. So we pray, Lord, that you'll continue to steer us along that path. Keep us away, Lord, from the bandits and the lions that would attack us, and that we walk in righteousness all our days, heading to you through the truth and power of your word and guidance. Amen. So today we continue our, um, <clears throat> our series in John's Gospel, and we reach the crux of Jesus' identity, that we may grasp what he does why he is here. Now, think about times you meet something, somebody, countless times through life, we define ourselves through our work and our purpose, or our heritage, if we think we've got one we can brag about, or the relationships that we hold. Now, what, uh, what we normally do if we meet somebody after a minute or two, five minutes, just depending how the conversation goes, you say, what do you do, mate? And uh, person X or Y or Z will tell you what they do and automatically we've got them in a, in a pigeonhole, we've got them categorised and we've got a grasp of understanding about that person to some extent. 
So in many ways it's definition which is how we are known. John is so clear, isn't he, as he writes his gospel. These words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the anointed one, the Son of God. Christ was never Jesus' surname. I don't know how many times I've taught that to kids. They just thought Jesus was his Christian name and Christ was his surname. It's not. Christ means the anointed one, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And of course today's passage is about belief. It's about light, about light and darkness, about belief and unbelief. So John sets out with a blunt clarity today, a very blunt clarity that this world does not accept. There are only two options open to all mankind. There is salvation or there is perishing in eternity. No wonder Christianity is divisive. Christianity was always going to upset the apple cart in this world where mankind wants to have everybody believing uh, whatever suits them and they all get their own roads to heaven. Or there is no heaven and it doesn't matter, we can accept that too. No wonder, therefore, Christianity is divisive because it maintains the truth. It maintains that there is only one way to heaven and it's through Jesus. Now, if you go back to verses 14 and 15, which are quite captivating verses in John chapter 3, if you've got your Bible there, you might open them. I skipped these last week, but I regretted it this week as I was preparing because they're an ideal lead-in to the content we're going to look at today. Um, just as Moses, well, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, remember it's still at night, uh, Jesus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. The reference that uh, Jesus is referring to here, and Nicodemus would have known it was from Numbers, where the Jews had rebelled against God yet again, and God had sent a plague of serpents, uh, poisonous serpents, to um, to bite them and, and punish them. Now, many people were dying from the poison of the serpents, but then Moses prevailed upon God, and uh, and God uh, gave him guidance. So Moses lifted up a snake on a pole, and all they had to do—a bronze snake, not a not a dead one—all they had to do, the Israelites had to do, was to look at that snake on the pole, and they would find healing. So Jesus again is using the symbol of being lifted up, as indeed he used previously in chapter two about raising up the temple again. He's defining himself in a manner that may have been confusing to, uh, to the Israelites, to Nicodemus even. But nevertheless, he's saying he's going to be lifted up. And it's very clear that what he's doing now, is, John is doing now, is making it abundantly obvious that this is Jesus the Christ, the anointed one, the sent one, that we may get him right. And just as a little aside, I wonder if you've noticed, I haven't seen it recently, but in the early days, doctors used to have a little badge on their cars, and that was a badge with a pole and snakes wrapped around wrapped around it. And that image of the doctors um, as healers comes straight out of Numbers, if you if you like trivia. So the first part today we're going to look at is we're looking at love. It's God for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Is that not the most famous verse in the world? Um, certainly is in Christian circles. Outside of that, it may not be at all. But God's love is not aroused by some great merit he perceives in an individual. Isn't that great? God's love is because he cannot but love. That's his nature. 
God is love, 1 John 4. So being full of shortcomings, indeed sin, is no impediment to him to exercising love. Now, if you're a parent, you'll understand this. You'll have your tin lids and you'll love them and they'll frustrate you, but you'll love them. They'll frustrate you even more, but you'll love them. And the love doesn't cease because of their their, uh, shortcomings or their sinfulness that they see, that you see in them. Now, it's exactly the same, isn't it, as our God God in heaven. Our sinfulness does not stop him from loving us any more than we can stop loving our own children because of their foolishness. The Beatles sang a song for a few years ago. Now, it is like about 50 years ago. The Beatles sang, You Can't Buy Love. It's a free gift, isn't it? Because that is true, you can't buy love. To buy love is a bribe, and thus it's not love in the first place. Have you ever reflected upon those um, those reward systems that banks have, uh, not banks, that uh, the shops have? Woolworths and so on. You spend money there, they'll give you rewards. That's loyalty. It's not loyalty, it's bribery. It's just this bribery that, that, that feels decent and, and is up front. Because you'll get the rewards because you spend money there. They just want our business. They don't love us. So unable to grasp love, the Israelites, um, <clears throat> the Israelites were soon to learn. They were going to crucify it. Yet now Jesus extends his love and the Father's love forward. It is not just for his people, but for all of mankind. And that would have been a surprise to the Jews, I suspect. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not just for God so loved the Jews or the Israelites. This is a wonderful and new idea, and surely an idea that confronted Jewish thought. The Gentiles were yet to hear this and the Gentiles were yet to learn this. Now the Father's loving purpose is to lift up the world out of condemnation. That's why he sent Jesus, because the world is under condemnation. Now I want to tell you a story. Uh, I like Greek legends, uh, Greek myths. There's a lot of truth behind them and they're quite fascinating. Some of you may um, have heard the story of of Damocles' sword. Damocles was a... um, was a servant in uh, the household of Dionysus. And this servant, and Dionysus was a king, uh, this servant won favour with the king and wanted to recline on the lounge that the king reclined on. And the king finally decided that he would permit, that he would permit Democles recline on this lounge and enjoy the wealth and the comfort that uh, the kingly, kingliness brings. So anyway, one night, Damocles gets to lie on this lounge and it was not detailed in the story that Damocles had to get off this lounge. He could stay as long as he liked. Now, above Damocles' head, Dionysus had hung a sword and that sword was secured just by a horsehair. Now, there's a fascinating thing. How much can you enjoy luxury when there's a sword hanging over your head? How much can you enjoy luxury and wealth when there's doom awaiting and you don't know when that horsehair is going to break and you don't know when it's going to fall? So 
I tell you that little story because that's the state the world is in. Jesus makes it very clear here as he's talking to, as, as he's talking to Nicodemus. The world is under condemnation and he is going to return. The time will come when that sword falls upon this earth. Now, Damocles didn't like that sword, so he didn't enjoy it very much at all. And so he did not want to keep the position that he had in comfort and luxury at the king's, beckon, uh, at the king's uh, generosity. So he was wise enough and he got out of the way. But the world too isn't wise enough to get out of the way. Condemnation rightly hangs across this world with only love-filled grace restraining it. Let me repeat that. It's only love-filled grace that restrains God from acting now. God acts out of love, for love is his, fa- for love is his fab- fabric. But it is not how he measures in the divine courtroom, for his foundations are righteousness. Now I want to make this point twice. I'm going to read two verses. God does not measure by love, he measures by righteousness. First point. Isaiah twenty eight seventeen. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Psalm eighty nine fourteen. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Now, if I want to have an image of what God's like, I just see God sitting on His throne, and the the, the legs on that throne are called righteousness and justice. There is foundation. But all around him, circumventing him, is almost like a force field. Love and faithfulness go before him. So love goes before him, faithfulness goes before him, because that's the way he acts. But he acts that way. Why? Because his foundations are righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are bed bed partners in in the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. So the work of Christ... The love of the Father through the Son is to strip mankind of the garment of corruption and to replace it upon a believer's shoulders with Jesus' new mantle, the mantle of righteousness. Life is lived with love, but it is measured by righteousness. Now, when I measure life by love, I'm going to get myself in a sticky position because there's good love and there's bad love. There's moral love and there's immoral love. But they can't have immoral righteousness because then it becomes wickedness. So guys, can I say as Jesus teaches us of love, that love is how he lives because that is his fabric, God is love. But it's not how he measures. And I really need to develop that point, but I can't do that now. But I hope to have time to develop that point because the work of Christ, the love of the Father through the Son is to strip mankind of the garment of corruption and replace it upon a believer's shoulders with the new mantle of righteousness. That's where we're headed to. Life is lived with love, but is measured in righteousness. When we come to T intersections in life, where we are unsure of the best way to go, to turn left or right, whether it's in my speech, whether it's actually on the roads, although that's probably a little, little less relevant, whether it's in my mind, whether it's how I speak, I come to that T intersection, what do I say? I say, which is the righteous way to turn, left or right? That's how I make my decisions. Now, love and righteousness may well coincide, but righteousness is the one that makes the decision. So we looked at love briefly there. I want to look at light now in the, um, in the second part of this passage. Belief dispels condemnation. Disbelief keeps it, and it invites judgment because the world is under condemnation. There's that sword hanging across the top of this world. 
We've all read John 3.16, but we hardly ever get on to John 3.17. Belief lays hold of salvation, but the world is already drowned in disbelief, and you know that. We've seen that so often, and we will be victims of, um, not probably victims aren't, isn't the correct word, we will be recipients of that disbelief and that judgment against us and anger. But the world is already in under judgment. Excuse me. It lays, belief lays hold of salvation, but the world is already drowned in disbelief. Remember, mankind in his foolishness seeks refuge in all that heaven rejects. That's the darkness. And thus finds refuge in his own destruction. Mankind does that, doesn't he? Finds refuge in his own destruction. He doesn't understand it though, because he's still in the dark. Condemnation awaits to fall at the appointed time. Now the verdict of heaven is then that the light has been rejected. Verses 19 and 20. If you've got your Bibles open, could you have a look at them please? This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. The verdict of heaven has been rejected. People stay in darkness because they're scared to come into the light. Now, how many times have you heard of false organisations that promise enlightenment? Now, they don't think they're false at all, but they are in the dark telling you they can show you how to reach the light. If you are in the dark, you can't show anybody how to reach the light because you haven't reached it yourself. Now, you could come to me and say, Jeff Taylor, I hear you're a good singer. And I could say, well, someone's been lying to you. I can't help you how to sing. I'm in the dark as, it, as, as to singing. I can no more help somebody learn how to sing than somebody who's in the dark can show somebody where the light is. Now, masonry is one of those organisations that's reasonably common that promises enlightenment when you get through the various levels of masonry. But the enlightenment you get is uh, secret. I had a discussion with a friend of mate of mine's, um, I'll be three or four months ago, we were sitting down, we'd all gone for a ride, and we stopped at a pub and we were having a, a, uh, just a short time together. And over, over this conversation, this young man told, told me he's joined an ancient uh, medieval sort of uh, organisation that promises enlightenment. It sounded a lot like masonry, actually, this was. And anyway, I asked him, so what was the enlightenment? And he said, I can't tell you. Now, there's no light if it's kept secret either, is there? And Jesus isn't keeping his light secret. So men of corrupt mind are robbed of the truth of light. They fled. Disbelief is really the fear of, is really the fear of exposure but already all exposed before God anyway. Nothing is hidden except the sinner's sin to the sinner. Can I repeat that? Nothing is hidden except the sinner's sin to the sinner. We're blind to our own sinfulness until Jesus takes us into the light. God's name is good in the presence of the godly, but his name is an anathema in the presence of the ungodly, those that stay in the darkness. That's why some people can use God as a word quite honourably, and other people can only use God's word as a swear word. 
Because people in the light curse God. People in the light bless God. So living in the light is living in truth. I can't see the logs in my own eyes until God's light, the Lord, the light of the world shines upon me. No repair can be done in pure darkness. Invisibility is the problem of sin, even if only others can see it in me. So people may see me and see my sin, but I can't see me and see my sin, which is why Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7, didn't he? We've got to get the logs out of our own eyes, but I've got to be in the light to see the logs. Sometimes I think that not only have I got a log in my own eye, I've actually got a whole forest. And sometimes I think, how can I get rid of this forest? So you get down on your knees again and again, don't you? Of course, no repair can be done in darkness, but all the repair can be done in the light. Now, I want to uh, just uh, take you on a slight tangent and then we'll tie this together. Those who, are in, those who are in the light exalt the word of God and better still, daily, they will exalt the word of God. They will not ignore it, but they will dwell in it. He who exalts the word eats the sweetest manna from heaven. I hope we get time to talk about the manna from heaven because the manna from heaven is the sweet food that, that, that God gives us, that the angels ate or the angels eat and that we don't normally get on earth. It's when I open the word of God and I sit with God, I'm not fighting God, I'm not resisting God, I'm not being too busy for the good Lord, I then find his sweet manna. I feed his, he feeds my soul with his food which is out of this world. That's this book. And the Holy Spirit speaking to us through it. So can I just encourage us to eat the sweet manna of the word of God and enjoy the light that we gain from that. That's a taste that you don't want to lose once you've ever had it. So three takeaways today. The purpose of salvation is condemnation release. We await condemnation. It's not that we aren't condemned, we are condemned already. So Jesus comes to release us from condemnation. The second takeaway is the disbelief and darkness are but bed partners. Sinners flee light like cockroaches. How many times do friends say to you they will not come into church? They fear the light. Their spirit fears the light. Cockroaches fear the light and they run, don't they? Especially if you get up in the middle of the night and walk out into the kitchen. Put the light on and there they go. They flee. That's what people in darkness do. They flee Jesus. And the third takeaway is belief and light are pillow partners. If disbelief and darkness are bed partners, belief and light are pillow partners. And sinners can choose as a moth and be drawn to the light. That's our choice. It's what the good Lord's done. Now, can I just finish this with a quote from Martin Luther? He only had two days on his calendar. We know the time's going to come when the good Lord returns. There is an appointed time for that that he himself does not know. But the good time is going to arrive. So Martin Luther, in his great wisdom, had two days on his calendar. He had today and that day. Because those who live for the light live for the day when the light of the world will re-enter this world. Fix your eyes on Jesus and look to the end of the track. Let's bow our heads. I thank you, Lord, that you have shown us your light and taken us into the light. Thank you, Lord, that you have shown us there are only two ways to live. 
one for you and one without you. I thank you, Lord, that we've chosen the light and that you've drawn us into the light. And may we, may, and may we ever more draw closer to your light and away from the lights of this world. Amen.